the first thing that came to mind was stop drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Now, put down the whiskey. It's not going to go the way you think. (laughs) It just took me a little while to figure that part out. Yeah. Welcome to Darken the Page. My name is Dave Buddha. This is the podcast where we have conversations with creative types, uh, artists, songwriters, um, writers, screenwriters, visual artists, all types about the creative process. And today we have my good friend, Ali Tadros, back on the show. Ali was um, one of the first Dark on the Page guests. I think I believe she was episode 10. And um, she's back and she's got a new album um, named Hungry Ghost. And the track you just heard called Rivers is um, one of the tracks on it. Um, it's a really great album. She's going to play some more songs from it in the interview and just really excited. Ali is um, not just a really amazing songwriter um, and musician, but... I just think that Allie as a person and as a writer and how she shares her life is is just so, so wonderful and so interesting. And I think really, um, I think her fans really have a connection to her as a person uh, just as much as they do uh, to her as a musician, which is something that I think is true for a lot of people, but it's very true for Allie. Um, I even used one of her Facebook posts as an example. I'm making a course on how to write great Facebook posts without being insufferable. And I used a a post that she did about her journey as just an example of how to, gosh, like how to really like do some great writing. So we talk a little about that. Um, We talk about um, this whole process that um, she went through to make this album. And she's got some great stories from it uh, that we talk about in here. Just really excited to have her here. Um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna weave in um, some of her songs. She plays a song toward the end, and then I'm gonna throw in another song in the middle, um, just pieces of it, so you can get a sense of uh, some of her music. And I hope you go and buy her album. Uh, again, it's called Hungry Ghost. It's on iTunes right now. Um, and especially, I just really hope you follow her on Facebook or, or sign up for her email list. Um, She's just a really interesting person, and I think I think you'll just absolutely love it. You'll hear that in this interview as well. So, uh, without further ado, here she is, my conversation with Allie Tadros. Hello, Allie. Welcome to my bedroom. <laughs> 
Hello again, Dave. I've said that a few times <laughs> lately. I've been, uh, I've been living out of my bedroom in the old house in Winchester for a little while. Um, I'm happy to have uh, you here. Happy to be in this conversation with you. For the record, I'm not on the bed, though. <laughs> I am on the bed. You're at my desk. Right. And, um, you know, we talk about creativity a lot. So this is actually really fun. Like, we talk about the creative process. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Brooklyn a week ago or so, or maybe more, a couple weeks ago. A few whatever. weeks ago, I yeah, think, yeah. We, you mm-hmm. know, we're talking about sort of the, the career arc of musicians and all this kind of fun As stuff. Creative so, folk, yeah. You know, uh <laughs> The arc, I don't know if it's up or down. <laughs> it's not really an arc. It's more like, like a roller ocean, coaster. You know? Yeah. Or yeah. like a bridge that never got finished. Yeah, exactly. So like maybe maybe the arc just kind of like, you know, rolls off a <laughs> rolls off the bridge right at that point where the bridge is. Um, yeah. So and and this is also a fun time to talk about creativity because you just released an album. Mm-hmm. And so you've you've just gone through a whole process. You've, you've birthed the baby. Now the baby's, you know, it's now you have to... out and it's going to do its, it's thing out. in the world. Throw its tantrums. Hopefully no, the baby can me. take care of itself, though. That's, you know, <laughs> you don't have to be... There's, there were... No, there's some codependency that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I feel like at, it's least, out. at least with music babies, they're, they're, hopefully they're more work before yes. than after because versus human babies. Yeah, there is an element at this point of things that are out of my control i can't control whether or not people like the album i can control whether or not i try and get it in front of them but i already did my part for the most part which is the creative stuff and that you know add many things and you can remind them that your name is not hungry ghost (laughs) that is just the album name (laughs) right which is great last night we were i was at a show ali was doing and the guy came up to her the, the album is named hungry ghost and he saw the album cover and he goes, oh, are you Hungry Ghost? I was like, well, on like Thursday afternoon sometimes, yes. More like Hangry You're Ghost. Like, yeah, but and yeah. The, the name of the album is Ali Tadros. That'd be right. kind of funny. That would just be funny to like for one album just to flip those. Like that would be, I mean, it'd be kind of ridiculous and, you know, but it'd be like, oh no, this actually, this album is called Ali Tadros and I changed my name to Hungry Ghost. Right, right. But then I'm going back to... I am Ali the Tadros artist formerly afterwards. known as Ali Tadros. Right. But then you name the, the, like you change your name, but then you name the album your actual old name. That'd right. be really it weird. Just that'd feels be like very, it would be like a desperate like, attempt at PR, <laughs> which I am she is totally genius. not above. Right. <laughs> um, so tell me a little about this, you know, process for this album, the songwriting. Um, I know you have some fun stories because I've read some of your writing, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. We just talked about before. Um, yeah, tell me, tell me about like maybe how this was different too. Like, was this, you know, some from previous projects? Was it more struggle, less struggle, more bacon, coffee, less things? You know, you know <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, every record is different and it has its own struggles. I think at the point that I was writing for this record, I had been performing for maybe seven years, and so I knew what kind of music, at least to me, sucked. Um, And so I had a higher expectation for myself and the music, which I think can complicate things, as opposed to when I was younger and I didn't know anything. So I was just like, I wrote a song and was excited about that inherently and was like, here you go, world, as opposed to now I was like... There's mixed metaphors. This isn't going to work. Nobody's going to like it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Taste is important. Like, it's... As long as, you know, it's like you just... You just raise that bar to the right level. You don't want to go too high or too low. Right. It's important to like hold yourself to a standard, especially after, you know, maybe not the first year, right? You're like, hey, you know, year one, two, three, four, like, let's just get stuff out. Yeah. Now I'm kind of like a little older, you know, let's put a little more time into it or let's, 
you know, I think that's totally good. Yeah, it was Ira Glass who has that talk right. about, yeah, yeah, yeah when one, you yeah. first start, you have like, you go into art, you know, your form of art for us, music, because you have a really, really high taste right. and a great ear for something. But when you start creating at that point, your ability is nowhere near the quality of the taste that you have. So right. you're just filled with self-loathing, which for me definitely <laughs> felt like... <laughs> Which was where I was at three years ago when I really sat down and was like, okay, time to put songs together for a record. I think that's especially evident with music. And here's why. Because so I was, I was, I was on FaceTime with a friend a couple of days ago, and she's like a very amateur guitar player, singer. She's got a really nice voice, and mm-hmm. she can play a little guitar. And she played, actually, that song I sent you that I haven't listened to yet, but it's really good, uh, Labyrinth, mm-hmm. Jealousy, or Jealous. And she played it, and I hadn't actually heard that song before. And she played like the first, you know, um, 30 seconds of it. And because I hadn't heard the song, I I could have assumed that she wrote it. And if that were the case, like she'd be a badass. Like, right. And the fact that she could play it and perform it to the level that I would be really impressed at and that she has the taste to know that that's a cool song. Right. You know, I think with music, we tend to do that where like we, if you can play a cover song, and appreciate the fact that it's a good song, which seems kind of obvious to most people. Like, well, but no, there's a, there's some like there's some good songs in there. And there's some like really good songs. Yeah, but you can play in, in that and sing that, and then go back and write your own songs and go. It's just not <laughs> just as good. Just doesn't feel the same. You know, right? And Absolutely. then you reach that point where then and then 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 there's like this cool like merging of those where somebody's like, like, oh, who who was that? Who wrote that song? And you're like. <clears throat> <laughs> that was me. That was me. <laughs> you know, it's well, just like, whoa. Yeah, and I like one thing that I thought about while you're telling me is like you can play a cover song or somebody else's great piece of work and then you sit down to start working on your song and most of the time the first 30 minutes are going to be total crap or a lot of time for me anyways. I won't speak for anybody else. Uh-huh. So if you start comparing, you know, your first second drafts of a song to somebody's finished final product that came out of the studio you're screwed um so you do have to like sort of like separate yourself like okay this is the gold standard but right now that doesn't exist yeah okay so i have a question so when you know one of the things that i think about when i listen to other songs that i really like and it could be you know other like independent artists at a local coffee shop or it could be you know top 40 songs i think to myself like i get inspired by that stuff Mm -hmm. and there's a way that I quote unquote copy it. Totally. Right. Yeah. And, and I, th- I, and I guess like for me, how it looks, and this is why I'm curious how it looks for you is for me, how it looks is like, Oh, I go, I want to make people feel the way that person made people feel. Absolutely. You yeah. know, that happens to me all so the I'm time. So I'm curious what you, what you take away from those songs and what that looks like in your process. Um, it happens to me a lot. Like when I'm in the car, I'll like, <laughs> like purposely put on like the Spotify like cool acoustic playlist or yeah. whatever because I know what'll happen jams. right because yeah. I know that like first of all like that that genre is my wheelhouse right and uh, I will I'll hear a song that'll evoke a feeling it'll it'll and it'll, it will bring up a memory for me mm-hmm. you know it's a good song when you have that sort of cathartic moment and that memory is typically what I will take later and like I'll make a note on my iPhone and then I'll be like, okay, I need to write about that now. Mm-hmm. And it might even be something about the meter or like the the finger picking form of the song that I will record really quickly and say yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna build off of this idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it usually starts from the emotion too. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Um, yeah, and that, that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about the songwriting castle a little bit because you had some really good stories about this and that was not and then the songwriting were, the castle that sounds like a album, magical place right? um okay so the castle and uh, those were songs that made it to this album yeah some a of few yeah. actually no no okay not a single okay so so through two or three years ago i applied to do an artist in residence at a place called the castle in la just to be sure, there is the Magic Castle, which is like where magicians go to learn magic, I think. There's also the Magic Castle in Disney World. Or yes. Disneyland too. That's not I what we're really wish about. that had been where I went and did that, my residency, like but it was be, not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then there is the castle run by a nonprofit. That'd be funny in like Disneyland. Like you're like, they put you up in like the, ca- you know, the castle that you actually can't go into because you just like walk through it or whatever. But then there's like, no, there's old lady Tadros still trying to write songs up there. And she can't come like, down until she has a hit. <laughs> she's like picking up the window. Save me, kids, please. Nobody's streaming much. me on Spotify. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so the castle that I went to is run by a nonprofit called The Alchemy. Um, and they're based out of Hollywood. And uh, so I applied to do um, a two-week artist-in-residence. It's this beautiful house in the hills. And anyone listening to this, if you're interested, you're an artist, check out their website. Just Google, you know, the alchemy, I think, .org maybe. Um, and the idea was uh, I was ready to put out an album. I was ready to record an album. It had been mm-hmm. a year or two coming up since I released my last one. And I thought... I had just taken like a class in co-writing. I'd just done my first couple of co-writes and thought, okay, well, why don't I just do like extreme songwriting? And uh, I know there are a lot of great writers in LA. So let me do this residence residency. I will set up a bunch of co-writing dates and we'll write like 15 songs. And then from there, I'll have enough material for an album. Did you feel like you learned something in, in the co-writing class that you maybe didn't know before? Was there like some co-writing wisdom that you picked up that was important? Um. Yeah, finish. <laughs> no, there was nothing like there were no inherent tools. Like we just sort of learned the basics. And the teacher, uh, who's also a professor at uh, Berkeley on that line, his name is Neil Dirks. He's wonderful. Um, was just really encouraging and kept us accountable. Mm-hmm. And when we finally, like everything was done online. And once we finally did submit a song at the end of the week, everybody listened to it. They offer criticism that was mostly constructive. Nice. Um, but it just gave me the confidence to actually do it. Like, you know, because I had to turn something in, I finished things. And that was the lesson I took away from it was if my feet are held to the fire, then I will finish. There's no room for perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that and thought like, all right, I'll do the, the residency. So I got the residency and um, essentially they provided the environment, this gorgeous house, you know, and there's like a grand piano. Um, and I had two months, I think, to set up the artist dates and just emailed everybody I knew, which is not a lot of people in yeah. L.A., uh, you know, I had like three songwriter friends. And then I asked everybody else I knew, like, hey, do you know people in L.A.? And yeah. like... One guy was like, yeah, here's my publisher and like, you know, connected me and the publisher didn't give a shit about me. And, you know, there was a lot of that. There was there a lot of people, people in L.A. that didn't give a shit about me. I you. know, isn't that crazy? So surprising. So unlike L.A. Yeah. Uh, so I, I sort of like cobbled together 10 dates and I tried to come with each of those like uh, dates with an idea mm-hmm. that I thought would suit the artist that I was writing with because most of them I either knew or I knew through other people. Yeah. Uh, and 
we did we wrote like 11 or 12 songs um sometimes it was like totally frustrating and sometimes it was great and you really just pushed to finish them so it was that kind of part of the yeah you yeah felt like, yeah yeah so i yeah if there was yeah i, I really did just push but uh, and some of them just didn't get done and i had to be okay with that yeah that we had not finished some songs yeah and some of them i finished them and was like i'm never doing anything with this like i knew that right um at the end i did a really big showcase i played all the songs there was like an audience of 20 or 30 people I for even, this nonprofit, for yeah, the, yeah a lot of them were friends of the nonprofit. Like, Let's see what you've done here come on right give you a month in this beautiful <laughs> castle yeah um and you know what's crazy is like i was so nervous excited that like i could have asked for a donation that night or like a cover or tried to sell my cds and at that point i was so just like mind fucked that i didn't do any of that so i like paid for the food for every, you know like for people to eat and just didn't make any money and oh god i guess it's like it this, was just you it was uh i had other people come and collaborate and there was one song that i uh actually no you know what there were two songs that came out of that residency out of the like 12 or 13 songs that i actually recorded one of them is on the album did you only play new songs for that show like I, the songs you wrote at the castle I wrote one, I played like one or two old songs, but yeah, basically everything oh, yeah. was from the residency. That'd be funny if you like get this room full of people and they're like, <laughs> you're like, all right, everybody, I'm going to do that. Here's the stuff I wrote in this, this entire month. It was beautiful here, man. It was so great. You play like half, you play like a, like a couple lines from one song and you're like, that's as far as I got. Yeah. <laughs> and here's my old catalog. Um, yeah. So what ended up happening at the end of the residency, there was a producer in LA that I really wanted to work with. I contacted him in advance and I went to meet with him the day after the residency. And I showed up with my guitar and was like, you know, he was like very cool dude who's worked with a lot of pretty, you know, successful songwriters and, and stuff. Uh, showed up with my guitar and was like, so can I play you some songs? And he was like, no, I don't do that. <laughs> he was uh, like, yeah, you can email them to me. And he didn't say like an asshole. He was just kind of like, no, that's sort of awkward. You know, because when you play the song and then you have to be like, yeah, that's great. Or like, not like, you have I to deal that. with somebody's like ego. And if you're right. also an artist, you're yeah. super sensitive to it. And you're probably not really responding to the song. You're responding to like your need to yeah. make the other person feel okay. He's like, I'd rather shoot people down electronically. Than yeah. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the 21st century of dating. Like <laughs> It's like the office space line where they're like, we, like, we prefer to fire people on Friday. Fridays, you find that there's less uh, chance of suicide, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I prefer to not smash people's hopes and dreams in front of their face. I feel like <laughs> less of a chance of them just, just offing themselves right there. So I don't want that in front of me right. and ruin my day. Yeah. So we had this long talk about making the record and um, he asked me what my budget was for the record. And I was like, you know, 30 to 40 K, which was total bullshit. Right. Um, How but- did you come up with that number? I like think, what was your what do you think like was your like, a reasonable number for you? Like, what what would have been reasonable to, reasonable would have said like I can probably at most do twenty k. Yeah. But re- realistically okay. speaking, like twelve to fifteen k is like a stretch for me, and I can I can make that happen somehow. But yeah. thirty to forty k would have been like selling my guitars and like you know going to bankruptcy or something. Yeah. I mean, that's, I I probably I would have figured it out, but it would have been unnecessary. I feel like people have musicians have lied far worse. Like that that was, you're like, that's, that's like, all right, you doubled the budget. I mean, like, yeah. come on, that's, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um. Anyways, 
but I was just trying to please him. Like I thought like if I tell him a really high number, he's not going to turn me away because I sure. thought like otherwise he wouldn't want to work with me, which, you know, first of all, should have been like the red flag to me that I'm already feeling this way. Yeah. Even though like and this has nothing to do with him. This was all my shit. You know, he was a really, really cool guy and yeah. um, great ear for music. So anyways, you know, we talked about it and um, he just told me, you know, like, send me the songs and I'll listen and I'll let you know. So I sent him, you know, every song that I had in my catalog at that point. And these are previously recorded stuff too? Or yeah, just... previously recorded yeah. or written stuff that had not been recorded on an album yet. Okay. And then stuff from the residency. Uh, and a few weeks later, I'm back in New York. He calls me and is like, you know, of these like 16 or 15 songs, he was like, I could work with four of them. <laughs> That's that's pretty good. I don't know how, how do you feel about that. Was that like a were you like? Uh, well, it was um, it was discouraging. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, because I I had my mindset on an album, right? And there were plenty of songs on there that he did not dig for you know like reasons that were explained to me and made perfect sense. Um, you know, like this the songwriting on some of those were pretty half assed, and like I could have done better work. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, I I think it had more to do with my ego, like really wanting to have those songs written. And so I just forced myself, you know, to yeah. write them all in two weeks, you know, with strangers. Um, and with people who often, like many of them had not done a lot of co-writing before. So um, yeah. we were in similar positions. <laughs> you, you only knew a few people in LA, so you just started pulling people off the street. Hey, you, yeah, come here. Just come, give me yeah, some. Yeah. You want to live in a castle for a day? Come on over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I got, I got food too. Which I'll buy you Which is totally how I bribed people. I was yeah. like, I'm in this mansion. There's a pool. Yeah. And you know, just yeah. come. We As, can be friends. Right. We can hang out for the day. Come on, please. No, all right. Yeah. So, anyways, totally come up. (laughs) So he, yeah, he he gave me this sort of constructive criticism. You know, very very kindly and encouragingly, you know, told me that I I needed to work on my songwriting, and uh, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna start from scratch, and I'll I'll work on songs, and I'll send them to you. And then I never wrote him again. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know at the time that you responded to that email? You're like. There's no way I'm sending it. Oh, it was over the phone. And then I sent oh, him a okay. thank you note. And then I was like, you're going to do this, Allie. And then I got super depressed. Oh, okay. <laughs> so exactly... there was an intention, at least when you said that. You weren't like, you weren't just like, I'm going to straight up lie here just to get No, yeah. I totally intended to. Yeah. And it, like, I did exactly what he told me not to do. And there was a voice in the back of my head that was like, no, that's what's going to happen to you. And he was like, you know, like, this has happened to me before too. Because he's also a musician, you know. And I didn't pick up my instrument for nine months. Like, please oh, don't right. do that. And I was like, don't worry, I'm gonna write. And he he meant the discourage. He meant because I gave you some feedback that maybe you know hard to hear. Don't lose hope. Right, right. Don't lose hope. Yeah. And I totally lost you hope. Lost hope. <laughs> I like lick my wounds for six months. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. Oh. I wonder if you like. I mean, if that like if the, even saying that helped. You think. Or it did it, like, help. give you that idea. You're like, oh, oh like, oh, that's an option. Hope. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's on the table. <laughs> Shit. So you mean other people do that too? I guess not so bad. Don't lose hope and watch Game of Thrones seasons <laughs> right. one through four for the next right. week. <gasps> I can do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. You will not. Yeah. You will not want to binge watch. You know. Yeah. Right. So that's how this so album started. Yeah. <laughs> That was started, started with hope, with hopelessness. And did those four songs or more end up making it on? 
A couple of them did. Yeah. Yeah. So long story short, I did not end up working with that producer. Right. Um, I worked with someone in, out of Woodstock, a guy named Kevin Salem, and um, wrote a bunch of different songs and reworked some of the ones that I'd written before to sort of refine them. Um, Talk and, about a little of a little about the role of a producer for you for people who maybe haven't who done have not that. yeah I mean, worked what, with what's the music that all producer because I think that people have a misconception of sometimes what that's about. Okay, so it's different for every artist, but for me, uh, like a music producer, first of all, their job is to make sure that the album gets finished because as artists, like we can, you know, I think about it like the way some women pluck their eyebrows, which is like you sort of like tweak on the left and then you tweak on the right. And then if you don't, if you like don't lock that shit down, you will just like tweak your entire eyebrow off, you know, while you're trying to perfect the little arc, you know, the arch in your eyebrow. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's a perfect metaphor, but. Sure. What you're uh, saying is you can overdo it? You could totally overdo it. Okay. And then like there's no, no semblance of a song by the time you're done because you've stripped away and you've like. So he he's a producer works as a cheerleader. Like, okay, I, I would tell the producer like, all right, this is the sound that I want to go for. Like I love Fiona Apple's first album right. and like maybe Radiohead's third album. And maybe we should like grab guitar sounds from this. How do we do that? I don't know yeah. shit about like running a studio. Yeah. I don't know anything about, you know, using the programs where you construct a song. And that's where they come in. Yeah. Uh, he will also come in like I will bring him, you know, 20 songs and be like, you know, can you be the objective ear because I trust your taste in music to tell me which 12 songs you think we should record. Yeah. And they will help. Um, for me, it's a very collaborative process. We arrange the songs together. So like, you know, I'd play a song and he'd say like, okay, I think we should put strings and electric guitar on this. And I'd be like, I hate electric guitar. No. And then he'd be like, all right, well, let's try it. And, you know, like... The producer sort of gets you out of your comfort zone and helps yeah. you shape the songs um, based on like what you've already told them the idea for the album is. Uh, you, some producers will work on the record for a percentage of the sales. That's typically for higher tier artists. Mm-hmm. Um, they call that like working for points. Uh, the way I usually do it is I will just pay the producer in advance and then I own everything. Yeah. Uh, and they'll get like, you know, if you get licensing, if your song gets placed in a movie, they might get like 10% of whatever yeah. comes out of it or something. Because in, in some ways, like they have also worked as a songwriter uh, on the record because right. they've, you know, like there were many times that Kevin would say like, let's double the chorus or let's, you know, sure. go straight to the second verse here. And it dramatically helped the song. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, it's kind of, and I, I think that element of the like coach or cheerleader too is really important. And it's funny because I think in the time in the I haven't really done a ton of recording, but in the mm-hmm. few times I've done that, I've always I've always felt like I underrated that. Like about I'm like, well, this guy's really smart. He's kind of a dick, but all right. And then it just never works out. Like no, like I, it's so important for me to 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 be with someone that I just like being around. Absolutely, it sounds so obvious, but it's like you know, and and to know that they're they're Especially in that creative space. I mean, you're just going to be like, you're so like, you're so just in your like inner child anyways. So it's like (laughs) somebody like says something wrong or makes your coffee the wrong way. And you're like, I don't want to do anything anymore. (laughs) And they're like, it's okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, like the producer's job especially is to be there to, you know, 
do things so that you don't have to. So you can just focus on getting the best performance out of yourself possible. And they can judge, you know, like Kevin would say like, okay, I think you can do better. Like, let's give it two more takes. This is going to be the one, 100%, totally being a coach. But uh, they just try and bring the best out of you. The the producer that I worked with on my first two records used to be like a um, a pro, you know, tennis coach. And it just like translated perfectly to working in the studio because he was really, really motivational. And we can get so plagued by self-doubt and that will totally translate into our work. And if you feel really great about what you're doing and you're super engaged, then, you know, there's a good chance you'll get a better performance. You and me at a cafe On a Sunday afternoon when she leans in to kiss your cheek Your chest will start to bloom You will tell her she's beautiful Meaning every word She will laugh and let you hold A hand in yours This is how, this is how you find like you've what do you feel like you've learned now that you're kind of at this like sophomore stage of music life I mean we kind of talked about this a little bit maybe recently but like looking back you know like okay so we were at this this show last night and then we saw that like some other bands go on mm-hmm. and there was there is this sense and I think this just happens I don't know for me kind of I started to feel this in my 30s just in general with life. Yep. But I started to feel like I've actually been on the earth for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, that, and then there was a, a little bit of a separation between me and maybe got people in their mid to early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the music career, there's a little bit of that too, where it's like, okay, like I've been around a, a little bit and I'm not fresh faced and bright eyed, but I've been around. So like, what what is it that you have learned, I guess? Or what is it that like, um, this older, wiser Ali Tadros, um, maybe would even say to your like beginning self, the one like the Tucker Max Ali Tadros, or like you know, like the person in the beginning. And this is actually usually a question I literally ask at the end of every show, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of like asking it sort of here. Um, but like, what what do you think as you've reflected now on this? In the last five seconds since I've asked you to reflect. Totally. Uh, <laughs> Give this. me the right. Everything um, crystallized what you've learned in 10 years. Right. Um, yeah. Like, you know, how, how, how have you grown older and wiser? Uh, well, I don't know about wiser. Okay. So I'm a little bit older. Um, it's not all about me. Um, it's like there's, there's a lot of strength in trying to connect with the audience. And like I learned like people – I have to remind myself of this all the time. Like people – did not show up to inherently judge me. They are there because they would like to have a nice time, mm-hmm. and uh, looking people in the Except eye. For that one dude, he's there. Well, that that douche. That's that a very minority. There's <laughs> right. That, that one guy, guy at the open mic. Yeah. Whose entire existence yeah. <laughs> is that? Um, yeah. It's 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 gonna sound so campy, but I think that uh, for what I do, yeah, it's it is about connection more than anything else. Like it's. 
I, I used to close my eyes a lot when I play. And sometimes I'll do that too, even just because it just like makes me feel safe. Yeah. Um, but when I, I started looking people in the eye, that I think that kind of, that, that sort of, uh, that, that changed, changed things. Um, yeah, it's, it's not all about me. How, how were you making it about you before? Like, how did that actually look? Uh, so I would play a song and then I would get lost in the original story of the song, like in my head, like I would physically close my eyes and think about the person and think about the situation as it played out in my head. Yeah. So I was like alone in my little place on the stage. And then there were just people like sort of voyeuristically watching me go through this emotional journey. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to like me being in the room with the people who were there, you know, with me in the room. That so I think I was like a, I was a lot more emotional when I played, but maybe not in a way that connected with other people. It was sure. like I think there's a time and a place for that, but maybe that yeah. was just all you were doing. Yeah, that, that was know. like I I had a publicist who was I think he just like very kindly was like Allie, it kind of seems like you're faking it. <laughs> you know, you didn't say it. Well, maybe you didn't say it like that. But he said, you know, like, I know you, and so I know it's genuine, but somebody who's just walking in for the first time might think that you're hamming it up mm. because I was, like, being a very emotional artist. Um, mm. And so I kind of had to look at that and be like, well, what's going on there? And, I, I mean, it was also just, like, a defense mechanism because I was – maybe I was nervous sure. or I needed to block out, like, the fact that there was a guy texting on his cell phone in the audience or something like that. Right. And now, now it's just like, okay, fine, you know – the three people who are really intently listening and focus yeah. your energy on them. Yeah. Look them in the eye. Because yeah. like there's there's an opportunity for connection here and that's what people come here for. Yeah. And even when there's not like even when people aren't connecting, that's also an opportunity for connection to talk to them or to right, say, you right. know, like whatever, you know, that actually works <laughs> like, like that. Or like yeah. yes, intently look up look them in the eye and be like, Listen, I see you playing Angry Birds right. during my ballad. Yeah. I see you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I kind of um, get, I get like a twisted kick yeah. out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's like just being comfortable on stage. I think is like we all kind of go through. We all have our like escape mechanisms, you know. Mm-hmm. I think some people, some people just like stare at like the wall and like don't and just, you know. And then right, some people go inward, you know. Some people, yeah, I think it's. And then when you get comfortable, you're just like, oh, there's people there. Hey, what's up? You know. Yeah. See me? This isn't a TV. We're playing. It's live. You know, we're, we're in this. See you. You can see me. Together. This is awkward. You know. Yeah. That makes me think of another thing, which is uh, I realize this more when I see other artists play now, which is uh, not to ever apologize. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to feel sorry for you. Yeah. You know, like don't apologize for anything. Fucking own whatever you do on that stage and don't feel like, like oh, I'm sorry and tune in yeah. or whatever. Like, yeah. Just it's what I, you have to like. Just be confident, and if you if you carry everything like it's on purpose, people won't never yeah. care. Like people have sat through three seconds of silence before. Like that's not, you know it's not like there's not the end of the world. Like yeah. oh my god, like you know there was there was a moment where I turned around and drank a cup of water. Right. God forbid. You know? Yeah, it, it's, I think, the, but I do think there's a greater lesson in that. I remember someone saying a while ago, which was like, don't apologize. Uh, it might have been Gretchen Rubin, um, the writer who wrote uh, Happiness Project. Don't apologize. Mm. Thank people. So as opposed to saying, sorry, I have to, to now. Yeah. Say, thanks for being here yeah. and listening. 
I'm going to tune now, you yeah. know? Uh, and the, it just changes the energy. And I think if you just do that in life, like, sorry, I didn't answer your email, as opposed to like, thank you for following up with me. I needed that. Yeah. I have some <laughs> cheesy tuning jokes that okay. I do. <laughs> One of them that I don't use, I think my actually my uncle said this once, and I thought it was really funny. And I used it a few times, but it's, uh, I'll be tuning and people are watching that. And I go, this is actually a song I wrote for my Vietnamese girlfriend. It's called Tuning. <laughs> it's terrible. Terrible. I don't, I don't actually it's use that one too often. That is terrible. Um, but another one that I actually do like saying is, I will. I'll be tuning in. And I say, you know, Chicago. Usually, uh, last night I was in Cleveland, and I, you know, I didn't. I didn't tune as much for them. But you know, for you guys, I mean, really want to get this right. Like this is. I can tell this is an audience that really cares. That's why I'm doing this. This is for you. I'm getting this right for you. I'll, I'll say I just mess with them and something like that. Totally. Yep. That usually gets a laugh. Yep. The tuning one gets a laugh. The tuning one is... is that's, <laughs> Everybody's that, like that's just vaguely uncomfortable and wondering if oh, you're racist. No. Uh, <laughs> one of those guys. He's going to make these cheesy jokes all night long. Um, but, but that's yeah. but that's great. See, that's the thing. As opposed to being like stuck in like, oh God, I have to tune again because I didn't, you know, change the strings on my. Instead of going to that place, you 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 focus on connecting. You know, like mm-hmm. instead of me getting really insecure about like quiet times now, I'll just like tell a really bad dad joke or something, and then we're engaged again, and we're like, it's you know whatever's going on with you in your head, it's not their fault. So right. don't make it their fault and don't make them right. feel like it is, you know, like we're, you have this opportunity to make somebody's hour a little bit better and you have no idea where they're coming from. Right. So just take that opportunity and run with it yeah. as best you can. I always remind myself too that like when I'm in the audience, I don't look like I'm enjoying it. Like this is feedback <laughs> I've gotten from people. Like when I'm an audience member, um, I'm like, Paula did this, um, thing called like breakthrough performance it's like um a couple people like a group of people who like don't sing much like they go and they do a class for like a couple months and then they get on stage in front of like 100 people and it's like mm-hmm. a big deal and apparently i was sitting in the front row and like all of like her and everybody else uh she gave me this feedback that like her the people she was in the class with like they all thought that i was like a big jerk i, I swear to god this happened like this mm-hmm. happened i was sitting there and I, I just, oh, I was really happy. I was especially with Paolo. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I'm sitting there, right. you know, like proud, you know, partner and everything. And like, but she said, that, yeah, like she felt that. And then a bunch of other people were like looking at me going like, oh God, this guy hates me. Yeah. And that wasn't my experience at all. And, and I know that. And, and it's funny because I'm the exact opposite on stage where if I see someone like that in the audience, I'll get on them. I'll be like, I'll be like, come on, man. Like. What's going on? You know, the, why aren't you dancing? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you singing? You know, and God, I'm, I'm you're the, that person. I, <laughs> I mean, I won't make them feel bad, but right. I will, but I but I engage the audience, and I'm very actively pulling totally. everybody into the space I'm in on stage. Right. right. And I'm the, and I'm the, but I'm like the I'm the guy that I don't want to play for in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, you know. And I've also actively tried to like just be a better audience member, like be like moving or smiling. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, you know. No, I know I've I've had the exact same thing happen to me, at least that Paula experienced yeah. many times where I will look at an audience member and based on my own biases, I will decide like that old German lady hates everything I'm saying. And right. then the end, of the end of the audience, she like, you know, gives me a standing ovation. Right. I'm like, well, I am an asshole. Right. You know, like yeah, nothing that I listen, think is correct. Uh, like I listen from my critical mind a lot with music. It, right. Not that I want to, but it's just kind of one of those things. Of course. When you play music and 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 that kind of looks like me like my arms crossed like being like the nashville crowd yeah you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh god that must be horrible to look right, at right, right. 
Um, okay, so tell me about uh, maybe one, uh, like a song that has a particularly interesting story or maybe that um, uh, something comes to mind that, that you feel like maybe, I don't know, that you want to talk about and maybe play it. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, play first, talk later, talk first, play later. Up to you. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will. I will inform the backstory of the song first, and then I will play because mm. I feel like that that has more of an impact. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So when I moved to New York, um, I after like one or two years, I moved to Crown Heights, um, which is in the West Indian um, slash Orthodox Jewish part of Brooklyn. Not the gentrified part. Not the gentrified yet, part. It's <laughs> creeping toward you, yeah. Yeah, no, that is the other side of the, 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 the sort of I do like want to say that road. I was just in Brooklyn this weekend and you know this and I actually it was funny because I'm I, I know I heard that Brooklyn was gentrified, but you and some other friends I, I've just been in different parts of Brooklyn. But I was with some friends that were living in kind of the northern part, right? Mm-hmm. Where that's more white people. And there was just this point where I was taking the I was taking the 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 subway and it was like i watched the people get on and then at some point it's just like shift and it was like oh my god white people like hipsters it, it was like it was so clear yeah it, and it was it was very distinct yeah uh, it was shocking yeah. and and then we went to this coffee shop up you know where they were living and then just it was like wow this is intense there is there yeah. is just like it is hipster for real like here it was interesting yeah I, and like my my part is definitely it's shifting because clearly I'm there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean like the, there's a guy Chris who runs the bodega downstairs and he's Jamaican. Most of the people in my building are either Orthodox Jews or um, West Indian. Uh, all super friendly, but the West Indian guy is like always hanging out in front of the the bodega like till three or four in the morning. My front my window faces the street. And for some reason, they listen to this radio station that just does like West Indian remixes of every pop song on the face of the earth. So it's like there was like that Ed Sheeran song, "Thinking Out Loud." There's there's a Jamaican, oh, no. there is there is a <laughs> reggae remix of that song that Chris one summer listened to over and over for like hours. I don't know if he just like forgot and left on, but it made me crazy. So it's like. Dun, dun, dun. When your hands don't work out. Yeah. Like, oh, God, exactly. That's that is totally. It's like a beautiful right. song. And they just, you know, oh, well. Maybe they uh, loved it, I guess. I guess they did. Um, so, uh, so I was in Crown Heights. I was in this very noisy building. I had upstairs or downstairs neighbors that were fighting constantly. An upstairs neighbor who, like, listened to Whitney Houston gospel music all the time. And I was that's supposed not so to. That's bad, though. That was actually really pleasant okay, on Sunday like mornings. That. But it was, it, you know, I'm trying to write and just sort of, like, losing my my mind also i'm like oh i'm trying to be a full-time artist in new york like mm. what the fuck am i doing with my life on a constant basis sure. which is what new york just sort of does to you on a on a daily basis yeah. so uh i had joined a songwriting group with my friend tom meany out of austin and uh, every week we would get a phrase and we had to write a song with it and um the phrase that i got the first week or that we all got was the loud silence and so I, you know, like grabbed my guitar and um, interestingly, yeah, yeah. And then I sat down and uh, and just sort of like used all all of the the things around me to to write to write the song. Mm. Um, so you want to play it now? Yeah, yeah sure. Right. Grab the guitar. I will uh, hold this microphone so you don't worry about that. And okay. Then I'll, uh... 
Okay, so the idea was you had to use the phrase at some point in the song. Um, and the end of the song, uh, the name of the song is um, Silence of the City. There's a pit pit patter of footsteps up the floorboards It gently wakes me awake Radiators singing and the tea kettle screeching. This kind of silence is new. And there's a beep of the street like da da do, da da do. Garbage trucks preaching their blues. I'm right at home, settled to stone in the loud silence of the city. In the loud silence of the city So just try to shake me with your bills and your laws Stacked up higher than God I'll write me a lick to the street sweepers hiss cause this kind of silence is free and there's a beep up the street like da-da-do, da-da-do garbage trucks preaching their blues I'm right at home settled a stone in the loud silence of the city Loud silence of the city Richer than a king Smarter than a scientist Fatter than a cat Fuller than the moon In the loud silence of the city Loudest silence of the city. Steps up the floorboards, it gently wakes me awake. The radiator singing and the tea kettle screeching. This kind of silence is home. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, I heard the song last night. I loved it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks. That was perfect too because the phone went off, which is which is wonderful like, about that song. Like no matter what like, happens in the middle it. of it, it's like, and this is live music environment. Yes. Like it's super meta. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that uh, I think it was in the same key too. The, the yeah, ding, that was in the same the key. Ding was really nice. I love it when that um, happens. Yeah, I tried to do it. It was like a seventh, I think. That was right there. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, good, good. You know, it's like you got to turn the 
the like the big lemonade out of lemons thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. Like, all right, New York, you know, like. <laughs> so was that was the like do do do? Was that actually a sound that you mimicked, or did you make that up? Yeah, well, there was there was there is like a in New York. I I think maybe other people have experienced this. If you stay up too late and you hear the sound of the garbage trucks, they're like beep beep right. beep. You're like, oh shit, I should have gone to bed three hours ago. Cause you know, it's 5 AM. Yeah. That was like my, oh God damn it, Allie feeling. So I, yeah, I just sort of mimicked it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's adds, you know, like, you're like, oh great. Like now I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty sure that exact sound was like the beeping of the guy's Hummer who was always parked in front of, like his alarm that always went off when like yeah. an acorn hit. So yes, that was from my blog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New York. Um, and you're thinking maybe move, maybe checking out some European locations. Uh, yeah, I've done a couple of European tours. I lived in Berlin for a super short stint. Um, and it's a really interesting place for musicians. I think that there's um, like on a on a commercial level there's a little bit more room to be weird people are a little bit more accepting of of music that's outside of the standard pop genre Mm -hmm. um at least that's been my experience there uh so i'm headed back there in march and april to play some shows and thinking that i might you know stick around for a couple of months yeah it worked for hasselhoff i think so (laughs) i think think (laughs) every single time i go to germany it's like that band's still doing it and they're like playing arenas and killing it which is wait like a a band he's in well like david hasselhoff just like any like all kinds of bands who were huge in the u.s in like the early 2000s slash late 90s still have like a stronghold in many european markets what if you changed your name to ali hasselhoff like (laughs) (laughs) i think that would be enough that would probably i'm sure that people would just come to shows on that alone no it's it's just a coincidence really you know but they're like but they they're like well we gotta see if she's any good because this is really important you know that'd be funny um yeah thanks for doing this so i want to ask maybe the last question even though i kind of asked it already maybe i'll try to switch it up a little bit okay um if you could go back to the beginning of the making of this album Mm -hmm. or like maybe after the last one when you started thinking about this and you could write yourself a note give yourself some advice kind of go back in time and and like pat that alley tadros in the back and say hey listen up i got some you know i can share some wisdom from mm-hmm. a few years here um what would you say to yourself like what would you want to uh would you what what would you want to what would you just that would be really helpful for that person back then you know <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was stop drinking (laughs) now put down the whiskey it's not gonna go the way you think (laughs) it just took me a little while to figure that part out yeah (laughs) i wonder i wonder how that what what what, how did how like what like the way you think like what how did you you know what what was what did you think it was gonna you know i guess like yeah (laughs) what did i think was going to happen yeah maybe it's like i don't know he would ask me to marry me i don't like (laughs) every single time i don't know all of a sudden like the whiskey just turns into like green juice and my songs start being awesome i don't know how does that right that i i don't know i thought that it would like unleash my artistic fervor as opposed to me just getting like drunk and eating chocolate chip cookies which is often what happened yeah yeah, I mean, there are those like moments that you're like, I can that totally because I was stoned or something, or that's totally you know like. But then most of the time, not so much. Yeah, most of the time I started writing a song, I got drunk and I fell asleep. 
yeah. I, I Whereas opposed that. to now, I have to consciously decide to step away from the song. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've tried that with. I mean, I've tried that with with weed, and that works sometimes. But then, yeah, sometimes it's just like, well, there I've just slept on my guitar again. You know? so, <laughs> Wake up with the strings you know? tattooed to your face. Like, oh, okay. It's, uh, that wasn't that uh, yeah, I, I probably would have. And honestly, like the hard stuff has has been great material that being said um i probably put myself through a little bit more emotional turmoil that turmoil that was necessary and made some decisions that i would not have had i not been drinking so mm-hmm. that being said i'm like i'm i'm, I'm doing just fine now yeah. I, I got I, I figured that out Don't eventually worry, it's just good yeah yeah, yeah totally <laughs> yeah um you know what it's something that i've always just enjoyed and i think everybody enjoys about your artistry and your you as a public figure is is just your storytelling your i hate the word vulnerability because this is cheesy you know but like just you're like you're you and you just tell people what your life is like i mean it's like we talked about earlier everybody has problems like it's not that you have like a unique set of like you're not any more messed up or stay up later and the garbage trucks more than the average person right you're just willing to share it right and you know i wonder why i mean coming from you know what you were saying about maybe as a performer where you know okay don't necessarily want to connect right away and like Mm -hmm. the eternal thing you know and and like how how did that all come about? Like what where did where did you find yourself being willing to share more than the average person and just be real with people? I mean, is is that something that you made a decision to do or is that like a I think I learned it over time, but I recognized it in the um the artists and especially the writers that I love the most. Uh I've always been drawn to memoir sort of confessional but thoughtful examination of the self and then sharing it with others for most of my life and honestly for a lot of my artistic career hearing that other people have a hard time too especially people that I admire has made my life a lot easier and I'm a lot more forgiving uh as far as the performance goes it was like specifically I went to um up like a performance coach and he you know encouraged me to open up yeah uh and to stop fucking closing my eyes um and uh yeah it was he made it about like make eye contact like this is about a conversation with the people in the audience this isn't all about you yeah you're trying to evoke something in them um you know i think when you're writing you don't necessarily think about the audience but once you've written the thing and you're about to deliver it to them that's when they come into play and i think that also affected the way that i write Mm -hmm. yeah yeah nice yes well, um, people can go on iTunes now, mm-hmm. right? Your, yep. Uh, yeah. Hungry Ghost yep. <laughs> uh, is my artist's name. I'm just kidding. My name is Ali Tadros. The, uh, the album's called Hungry Ghost. They can get it on iTunes, uh, Bandcamp. If you are against supporting music and you just want to stream it for free, fine. So look in your face, fine. <laughs> That's fine. No, <laughs> no, but I listen to Spotify all the time, so I have no room to criticize. Uh, You'll get paid a half a cent for I that. I will. And actually, you know what? It, it does. Up, you know? uh, a lot of people in the industry look at Spotify numbers now. So it, if you want to stroke my ego as opposed to my pocketbook, mm-hmm. go listen on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> and just, just you can just play it and like leave it on for the rest. It just like so. It'll just, just do that. Loop it all night know. long. Yeah. So I get the, yeah. But I'm available basically yeah, anywhere. Yeah.
listening to Dark in the Page. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you go out and check out Allie's album. Again, it's called Hungry Ghost. It's out right now on iTunes. You can go to AllieTadros.com to uh, sign up for her emails to get a, get a glimpse into her life. Um, all these and more, all these links and more will be in the show notes, which will be darkinthepage.com slash 061 for episode 61. And thanks again for listening. Uh, go back and listen to episode 10 which was Allie's first episode on here. And she talks about her origin story and lots of other fun things. And until next week or next month or next time I post, go make great art.